When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I have a special guest with me this week. I'm going to try my best not to hurt his name. Bowden Sayer. How you doing, Bo? Awesome. Great. How are you? I'm good, man. So I'm going to pipe you in so that the, the audience out there can see your lovely face. And uh, this is the part of the podcast, Bo, that uh, we ask you to kind of introduce yourself to our listeners out there about who you are, where you're from, where you're heading. Yeah, so my name is Bowden Sayer, like you said. I'm a developer up in Montreal. We're part of a team called Flight School Studio, and we just recently put out a game called Creature in the Well, which you may or may not have heard of, on Steam Switch, Xbox, and that's kind of, that's been our focus for the last year, year and a half or so. So, uh, Flight School Studio is a very unique name, and I have heard of Creature of the Well. It's been kind of everywhere right now. Uh, How long has it been uh, since your recent release of that game? Uh, So, the game came out, like, just two weeks ago, or a little less, actually. Um, We came out on the 6th, Mm -hmm. and it's been awesome for us. This is kind of like our first larger title, I would say. Flight Mm -hmm. School is very interesting. We have a background in emerging tech. And we've done a lot of VR and AR products. We do a mix of like our own IP and work for higher projects as well. Uh, so this is definitely one of the like bigger, meatier titles that we've put out, um, and we're really we're really excited about it. <laughs> you mentioned a year and a half of production from the very beginning. Yeah, <laughs> that this is actually a, a record time, even kind of small. <laughs> it's very small, and has it always been planned to be just a year and a half? Or you guys are just that expertly. Yeah, kind of. So, like I said, we're kind of a commercial studio. So we're used to working on like pretty small projects. Some of them are bite sized. Some of them are only like a couple of months. Um, Some of them are obviously longer and shorter. But when we started this, the pitch was kind of like we want to run a a medium sized production, uh, but we want to keep the team lean and run them for about a year and a half. That was kind of the goal. We kind of knew that up front. So as we were designing it and uh, just kind of scoping out everything we wanted to do, the like features of the game and what you would be doing in the game. We just kind of kept that in mind. And we've always been kind of production oriented in that way. So that's definitely been kind of like a goal of ours to do, do things a little bit quicker, a little bit more efficiently, Mm -hmm. see what we could get out there in a short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, that's impressive. Like I've, we've interviewed obviously (laughs) a lot of uh, developers on here and I've never heard that, uh, even from a triple A background, especially in an indie background that, a goal was set that was met. Uh, usually, you know, what I mean, usually when say, say we'll we take that a year. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna say it was perfect, but like we got pretty close, <laughs> right? You know, so we'll, and in the um, scheme of things, it wasn't mm-hmm. like an extra year or two. Like we didn't, you know, we we kept to our guns in in that regard at least. So did that mean a lot of sacrifice, a lot of tight tightness when it comes to feature creep and all that? Like how how did you guys litigate those issues? Yeah. It's interesting. So like, I think it does. I think it does translate to that, but it's honestly something that we're okay with. Like when we start with that type of boundary or guideline, I think to us, it creates like interesting challenges and problems to solve where we just get to think creatively about like how, yeah, how are we going to do something? We won't necessarily entertain or consider an idea or something that may be way out of scope because, you know, it's just not what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. So we took we took that in mind when we started designing everything from like how we were going to create assets and texture and model and, you know, build levels and all of that stuff. And that kind of just, you know, seeps its way into each of the little micro decisions you make along the way about how are we going to accomplish this or get it done, given the constraints. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And I think there's big, a lot of areas in which you don't have to limit yourself. You can still under those under a guideline like that be like, yeah, totally. Let's just do everything we want to do. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't say that we really felt that restricted along the way. I think we just kind of like had it in our minds the whole time and it worked out. Right. I mean, how big is the you guys mentioned you guys offer uh, different services and this is the big first project that you just had under that studio how big is that studio itself and how big the, was the team the studio is about yeah sorry the studio is about 30 people total okay. and kind of everybody works on different projects I, I would say like at any given time there might be like five projects in development at one time and again mix of big and small ones and stuff the core team on this project is on the smaller side it was just two people uh, myself oh, and a, another developer adam volker and, but what's cool is that we get to leverage uh, people from other projects if they have downtime. So it's right. definitely not like a two-person job. We got to borrow some modeling time and animation time. And we obviously had audio teams from like the rest of the group that helped us out. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a very, the goal was like a lean team that ran for longer. So that was kind of our endeavor for this. I think the average project at Flight School was probably around like five people. We've done projects that have like 10, 15 people on them for certain periods of time. We'll ramp up or down depending on like the type of project or the client or things like that. This was on the smaller team size and longer schedule size for us. Right. So obviously this is a, you're a big part of, uh, of its success and its uh, development is between you and the other uh, programmer, I'm assuming, right? Um, uh, he's the artist. I'm the programmer. Yeah. You're the programmer. He's the artist. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Very well-spoken programmer. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> not to hate on you guys, the, but like... That's not the first time that's come up. No, I completely didn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's even more impressive. Like, a two-man team, and obviously, you guys uh, branched off and pitched this internally before it got greenlit, right? Yeah. And uh, how was yeah, that have... process going? Was it always yeah, planned that the, the studio itself would try to do something on its own in a small way and then bring it up? That's such a that's such a long story, but I'll try to, like, I guess sum it up. So Adam and I, the other person on this team, we've been working together for a very long time, like almost 10 years, I think, if not more. Uh, so we have, like, a really good understanding of how to work with each other and how to, like, figure stuff out. And the people that are also part of flight school, we've known or had worked with for a long time as well, even before flight school existed. Kind of we were there together when we started the company. So there's a lot of uh, like knowledge and familiarity between the team. So to us, we kind of had this really like unique advantage that we were able to pitch something and get approval from the rest of the team. They're like, yeah, we're going to allow you guys to kind of go heads down and work on this thing that you want to do to try to push into a little bit of a new medium or new area for flight school. Right. Um, but yeah, we definitely did like prototypes and ideas. We came up with actually like three or so just game mechanics and ideas. And we did art, a little bit of art development and like other things up front. And then we just kind of looked at all the ideas, compared them, met with the group of like creative directors that exist at the company to try to like, pro and con each idea and think about what would be the best. And then we kind of picked one and went forward with it. And at the same time, we were also, the endeavor was also to start a, a branch in Montreal. So the studio is based in Dallas. Uh, mm -hmm. Everyone, but the people who worked on this project are in Dallas. Um, so we were kind of aiming to break into Montreal because it's a great gaming community. And also because we're kind of connected to another studio that has a presence in Montreal. So we were doing a couple of things at once as we kicked this off. Mm -hmm. It's very weird and, and unique. Like it's, it's not a, a common story, I guess I would say. Yeah. I mean, but it's an exciting story, especially working it within, is. because the, 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 the one number one thing with indie development or at least a small game, right. Is that uh, there are realistic constraints when it comes to yeah. time and money right yeah so to have like a, a service on the side that it's like you guys have you said year and a half year and a half we are good there are not going to yeah. be any weird circumstantial changes that's going to affect the, the the design of the game definitely and we're comforting. reporting to somebody else so i think it makes it easier for us to feel the pressure of like yeah we're delivering this you know we're, we're working for a company we're not just like pulling money out of our own pockets mm -hmm. uh which I guess like there's there's equal pressure in both places, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the premise of the game is very unique, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
combining pinball and hack and slash and a little ping pong. Like, is this something that um, you guys just mashed together or, or was something brewing for a long time where you felt like, you know, I love pinball machines. <laughs> it needs to be reinvented <laughs> somehow and retrofitted to, uh, to the future audience here. There is some inspirations for sure. It did kind of, I feel like it came out of nowhere at the beginning of last year when we started the prototype and kind of had the, the one-liner ideas. Uh, but like, I was playing a lot of Rocket League and that mobile game, Balls, where you like mm-hmm. pull back, pull down on the ball and then shoot it around. It's like Breakout, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to make an adventure game. We had a bunch of other inspirations and games that we both love and wanted to work into this. So I think at the time we had just come up with this like, real simple it's zelda but you're playing top-down air hockey with a ball that bump like bounces around and it's all Mm -hmm. like two-dimensional you know Mm top-down and then once we started to prototype that it really started to evolve into something more like puzzly and single player based we added Mm -hmm. like bumpers and what i would call basically breakout bricks you know Mm -hmm. that you could like hit and they would explode and things like that which later evolved pinball wasn't one of the first inspirations ironically Mm But once we started getting farther down the road, we're like, this is a lot like pinball. We should mm-hmm. kind of use that term to like help explain it to people so that it's it has smart, some yeah. you know, amount of familiarity. And we don't have to just have this long conversation every time we're trying to explain what the heck the game is. Right. I, I think that's one of the most common pitfalls, right? Just being able to communicate uh, directly quickly. to... Yeah, very quickly. Key words that, uh, that when anybody plays telephone... Uh, is able to communicate yeah. your ideas yeah. directly, which is one of the biggest things in comfort of working at a company to teach yeah. these things. Yeah, I would credit to like the players because when we first announced the game at GDC this year, mm-hmm. um, we were just like e- eager to listen to what everybody was describing it to, as to their friends. Mm-hmm. So they like would come up with these combinations of like, you know, two things like hack and slash pinball or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, yeah, that one's actually pretty good. Or, that yeah. one's accurate. And we tried to like figure out what's the most easy and intuitive way to describe it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, someone called of... it like, <laughs> someone called it. Like, sorry. <laughs> sorry. There's a slight uh, delay. Diablo breakout, I think yeah, at Diablo one point. And we're like, okay, <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty good. You want to come yeah. work with us? <laughs> Uh, I'm so I'm very interested in the the, the beginning stages. So we'll take several stages to Creature in the Well and, and more background of the studio. Um, the beginning stages of prototyping the game was this part of the year and a half as well? How long did that take? Yeah, was that plan accordingly to time box? Like we got to figure this shit out in six months or less or something. How yeah. did that work? Yeah, so we started with like you know a a very raw prototype in i think february of last year um and then we just kind of hit the ground running knowing we were like working up against the clock we we set internal milestones for when we wanted to like have certain deliverables which matched you know roughly the same structure of milestones that we had done on other projects whether they're bigger or smaller uh so we wanted to stick to some things and for the most part we got closed i think you know Sometimes during a phase, like in the beginning of the game, we we spent a lot more time focusing on one aspect of the core gameplay, whether it's like just how the ball bounces or like how the player is controlled or things like that than we may have expected. But um, we had at least some type of a structure that we're like, yeah, we want to follow this. Let's see how good we can do with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a mentality that we have when we go into a project, which is just kind of like, let's focus on you know the end goal. Let's get let's go far fast so we can have a lot of broad strokes in place, mm-hmm. like rough in the game as quickly as possible, get all the systems in there. So it's easier to like review everything and then really start refining it. I feel like it's very easy to spend a lot of time on just like one aspect of the game. Yeah. And then you don't realize how much left there is in the entire game to like put in and then review and then iterate on. And then it, like timeline can just blow up in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the beginning of the production, the prototyping was probably the like more interesting and more weird and challenging aspect of this because we really didn't know where it was going to go necessarily. You know, we had that core prototype was just like a a capsule sliding around and it could hit a ball with a stick and we had no concept of catching the ball, which is a mechanic that's in the game now where you can like hold down a weapon and charge up and catch the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't have multiple balls in the game at the time. The idea was that, you would just have one ball and you had to like track it and predict where it's going to go. Kind of like mm-hmm. Rocket League where you got to anticipate its movements and get mm-hmm. there. 
And there was tons of problems with that. There was tons of issues immediately that we just started focusing on one by one and trying to solve. And I think as you just like solve each problem and evolve that type of weird, unique design challenge, we got mm -hmm. to something that was getting increasingly more fun and more intuitive and uh, started to work better within like the frameworks of game that we wanted to have, you know, going from room to room, trying out puzzles that were self-contained, things like that. Uh, I've been very interested lately about um, the traditional approaches to a prototype or just uh, initial pitches, right? There's, of course, when we're taught in school, we're like document everything before you even put yeah. pen on paper, right? But lately, it's more from listening to developers such as yourself. It's like, you know, just roll up your sleeve. What you see is what you get. Show, don't tell, right? Yeah. And uh so is it a mixture of that too, or you felt you guys, you were in the engine more just testing things out and then documenting to kind of communicate ideas later to other new members? I think it's definitely a balance. Um, I, I try to document as much as possible, but in my mind, I, I also try to avoid writing documentation that I feel is like is just a guess or mm -hmm. like it can't be proven yet. You know, it's like, don't, don't go too far in documentation if you have no idea if it's a good idea yet or if it's untested or something like that. So we definitely like going into prototyping, we would sit down and write down a bunch of ideas and then I would go through that list and try them out. And as you try them out in engine, you know, you're not in docs anymore for a good amount of time and the design will just evolve rapidly in engine, you know, and, and get pretty far away from where the documentation usually is, especially early in the production, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then like you're saying you kind of work that back in you're like alright cool let's keep going do another pass on where we had things documented just descriptions of things and try to have like specific checkpoints where you ask yourself crit critical questions like what are the worst parts about this thing right now and just like listing them out and being really explicit about it and then you know taking the time to just do some you know documentation on what are some potential solves for this and just you know doing that paperwork so I feel like we go back and forth between engine and and paper documentation a lot, but I think it's it's a balance, like you're saying. I think you can definitely over document, and you can definitely like just spend too much time in engine and not necessarily have a good bird's eye view of like where the game's at. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like you guys had uh, your marketing department really killed it because it was uh, it felt very oh my professional <laughs> in terms of like I, I heard about your game like a few months ago, and then when I looked again, it, oh, it's out. It's like it, it's a weird, rare timeline of seeing that happen where you hear about it and it came out on time or all that stuff. Plus, yeah. to also hear that you guys set out for a year and a half of development and you guys delivered a year and a half. I don't. Know. It felt like you guys did everything <laughs> perfectly, but I also like to question on you know the the pitfalls the the success and failures because i feel like equally you learn from that during development like what were the the walls that you guys hit against over and over again before you figure it out like what type of uh examples did you guys have yeah good question yeah our marketing team is amazing pop agenda uh handled all of the marketing for us they're this like powerhouse team of three now four actually mm -hmm. um and they kind of like they guided us fully. Like when they jumped on board, we, we were upfront about them, about the whole process. And we're like, look, we have never launched a game of this scale. Mm -hmm. And we've never really launched a game in the like core indie game market either, which they were incredibly familiar with. And we were less familiar with, we were pretty mm -hmm. invisible in that market to start with. So they immediately just kind of like helped us get on track. Like we wanted to announce the game much sooner mm -hmm. than we, mm -hmm. than it did. And they're like, no, 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 you need to wait. Like, wait till you have these Very things in the game slick, wait till yeah. you have these assets mm -hmm. yeah so they helped us just like line up when all those dates were when the announce would be how much runway and time between the announce and like other marketing beats and all that stuff and i can't say that i even understand all of what they did because it was mm -hmm. just really well done mm -hmm. uh, but it was awesome to work with them and we definitely learned a lot going through that process i would actually want to kind of dive into that because uh, obviously with yeah with indie marketing, right? Indie developers just feel like, well, you know, when it's done, I'll announce it. When it's announced, I'll build my own audience. And it's only a new, pretty new concept with smaller teams to find, like, maybe we should leave it to the professionals kind of help us and we concentrate on the game. So how was yeah. that back and forth? Uh, was it more like, here's, here's, did you guys have to pitch the game to them? Like, how far did you have to go with them? And how much of the interaction day-to-day -day did you have to keep up to date with them? 
Yeah, we were we were deeply involved. So Pop Agenda is really unique in that you know they do a lot of work that a publisher does, but they each like each person on the team has a very unique discipline that makes the whole thing work together really well. So Nick Verge, for instance, is kind of like has this design background, and he's a part of the team, and he did a deep dive on our game last September. And basically gave us a ton of feedback and kind of had a really good idea at that point about like what exactly the game was so that he mm-hmm. could give us feedback and translate that feedback to marketing plans for, you know, Pop Agenda and us. Right. Um, so he was so playing, they got really uh, familiar with the game. Playing with your build of the game and everything. and Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And we talked about design aspects with him. We're like, yeah, here's what we were thinking. Like we were literally just talking as if we were just designing the game with basically Mm -hmm. someone who's in charge of the marketing team. So they were like directly involved in understanding, you know, Mm -hmm. what the game is and how it could present and like what it's great feature, what it's features are, like what the hooks in the gameplay are. And he was really good about being critical and saying like, here's what I feel like people will find value, this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And the other stuff isn't necessarily important or people will discover it as they play it, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really valuable. And he continues to give feedback he continued to give feedback. Uh, the entire team did really mm-hmm. uh, through the finishing of the entire production and and leading up to release and launch and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, and we definitely stayed synced. Like we would talk, um, basically starting end of last year, we were constantly in communication. Uh, at first, it was kind of weekly, and then it was more often. We just kind of have a Discord where we just chat about everything that's happening on the game. Mm-hmm. We're just ex- as open as we can be about like here's where we're at now. Here's what we just finished. Uh, here's what we're focusing on next. And they would do the same with, you know, their marketing plans. So we just stayed in sync as much as possible. Right. And one of the dangers of uh, developing a game, when it comes to finally revealing the announcement, right, you kind of have to change gears and you know, kind of pivot towards like, this is for marketing. We got to show our best. And we sometimes have to pause real development. Did you guys have to do that? Or did you guys find like a nice little middle stage because there's literally the core yeah. team is just two people you can't really right. just stop yeah development. it's very hard to do it like any tangents at all means like full stop on production mm-hmm. right um we did it a little bit leading up to gdc because um pop agenda told us you guys need a demo it's got to be like tight contained you know 10 to 15 minutes long so people can get in and out and it's got a good loop uh they were advising another team at the same time blood roots is the name mm-hmm. of the game who had just made a demo that was like doing really well and had a lot of success. So they're like, check it out like this, do a demo that's going to be like this and has these features and stuff like that. So we, we went on a tangent for a little bit before GDC just to make that demo, get something really prepared. And that was incredibly valuable. It showed really well at GDC, like player feedback was awesome. And we continued to use that demo, honestly, for the next like several few months uh, at different events and conferences and stuff like that. And we didn't necessarily have to go back and continue to work on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just kind of at some point uh, had the question like, hey, do we want to update the demo for this new event that's happening? I realized the demo might be kind of old. And a lot of the time we're like, that's eh, fine. Like the demo's good enough. It's not worth us taking our focus away from like the main production of the game. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So we took we took a couple of small tangents, but I feel like we tried really hard to make sure we kept the focus on finishing the game and focusing on the game and putting all the quality and effort into that. Mm-hmm. But I, I've definitely been in, in situations where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm having to do stuff that feels like a sideways work when mm-hmm. you want to be just focusing on the actual production itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in a small team, you're you're constantly pulled in all types of directions. Uh, not just it's tough through decisions. discipline, yeah. But like marketing, although you guys had a marketing agency to kind of help with that, yeah, uh, there was a lot yeah. of back and forth to kind of keep them in the loop and have the latest information, right? Because the game's changing yeah. every day. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we kind of we have, we have a lot of experience again, just in smaller productions where you really have to be decisive about what's got the most bang for your buck. You know, like if we're going to decide at any given week what we're going to put our focus on, we need to make sure it's going to be like the most valuable thing to put effort into at that week at that mm-hmm. time. How was the, how was the reception when you announced it at GDC? Was it above expectations? Did the, the, yes. the, the wariness, <laughs> <laughs> well, did the wariness because you guys wanted, you guys, you were in a, you were saying earlier you would want to announce it earlier, but you, you weren't sure until maybe that event, or did you guys feel more confident as GDC came around? Like, that was the right timing. 
It was great. Yeah, it was perfect. We had uh, going into GDC. I don't think we were really concerned about the timing. I think we were excited about GDC, and we also had like very, <laughs> very quickly before GDC, gotten connected with Nintendo, gotten connected with Kirk Scott, mm-hmm. and established a relationship where we showed him the game, and he liked it enough that we could get into their Nindies Direct. So when we mm-hmm. announced it at GDC, it was announced via nintendo's channels which was massive for us that was like a huge deal there was like two million views on that video i think of Mm -hmm. the news because it's like a massive showing Mm -hmm. and so at that point like for months afterwards most of the people who had heard about our game were like yeah i saw it in the ninnies direct and we're Mm -hmm. like excellent (laughs) perfect (laughs) that's exactly what we needed so that was like such a clutch uh get i think at that point Mm -hmm. in time and i'm assuming at that point you guys were probably an alpha stage or just tidying things up or were you guys far along in the game where you felt pretty comfortable it's like all right time to finish it out it was alpha i think there was some like significant pieces of the game that like weren't missing there weren't massive pieces but like you if you played all the game all the way through you'd be like what's supposed to happen there you know in certain parts of the game so post gdc that's kind of when we had went heads down and we're like cool let's finish it up let's tighten everything up we did like a small uh, private alpha on our discord we had mm. opened up a discord at gdc and a bunch of people jumped in and then we announced to them directly like we want to do some private testing so we had like 10 or 15 people join and just like play through our full version of the alpha of the game and they gave us like a ton of really good feedback that we worked into the you know the beta and then wrapped it up a, a month or two afterwards mm-hmm. as we were kicking off porting basically <laughs> we used an external porting team Oh, wow. Which was okay. kind of important because I don't think I would have been able to do all three platforms that we sim shipped on a lot. Right. <laughs> so, so this was something planned at the beginning stages of like um, for multiple systems, correct? Yeah. Or, yeah. So um, when we first started the project, like, you know, beginning of last year, we wanted to pick two platforms. And at the time, uh, we kind of had an affinity to PS4. So we're like, let's do PS4 and yeah. Steam or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then as like, you know, the market evolved, everyone was like yeah switch is where it's at mm-hmm. we kind of shifted towards okay switch and pc those are our target platforms and we were just going to self-publish on on those because it's not a huge deal pc steam is like fairly easy to do mm-hmm. and then it would just mean like porting to one platform yeah. but then as we after we announced and we started getting more attention and more traction you know uh, our kind of connection to microsoft built and they're like mm-hmm. we want you guys on xbox so then there was more and more platforms to consider. I'm like, all right, we got to have an external team that can yeah. help us like sim ship on all these platforms. Cause we didn't have the bandwidth to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's something that developed a little bit later, you know, mid production, we kind of just massaged our launch strategy, like which platforms and how we're going to get it done and things like that. That's a, Oh my God. You, you're constantly compressing me with your, your timeline because we're, we're essentially talking <laughs> about from March to what now September, like five yeah. months. Right of how yep. all these uh, marketing potentials and partners started approaching you guys, talking to you guys, and then you guys organizing yeah. and porting. Like, how did you guys ha- were able to handle all that stuff at once? I mean, it's exciting. I don't know. <laughs> get all that interest. You guys got it done. But what was the secret sauce yeah. here? Was it just... I don't uh, know. Everybody <laughs> was just ace. <laughs> just acing um, it, man. Like the, yeah, everybody was acing it. Um yeah, I don't know. The connections were like, they were just coming in quick. Like, I just remember a few key events where we're like at GDC or at PAX or something, mm-hmm. meeting the right people, showing off the game, sending them builds of the game, um, having them review it, and then just express interest and stuff. And once, you know, that's far enough, we just started pushing on, like, okay, cool, let's do it. Let's move forward on this. How can we mm-hmm. do it quickly? Mm-hmm. Do you um, have any suggestions we... during the time period? Because, um, you know, it, it's always exciting to look at multiple partnerships. Of course, you can't go wrong with Microsoft. Of course, you can't go wrong with Nintendo. Uh, but yeah, it also, op- yeah, it always opens up to other type of potential partners that, yeah, maybe it's not such a good deal in hindsight. Um, of course, I'm not telling you guys, but uh, like just a forewarning that how people can get trapped in a, in a bad deal. Publisher deals. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any? Yeah. Uh, so we explored that. That's mm-hmm. tough. I can't say I. I know a lot about it from experience of like working with publishers, but I can say that we've almost connected with a lot of publishers. We were pitching the game to publishers at the end of last year before announcement, Mm -hmm. because we were potentially looking for, you know, marketing funds or ways to get 
more money for us to like mm-hmm. just have a better launch because mm-hmm. we knew like okay we we can make the game but we need we probably need somebody to help us launch it or like get the reach we need or get the mm-hmm. visibility that we just don't have as a as a new developer in this space mm-hmm. so we were pitching to a lot of developers like the the pub or a lot of publishers the publishers you're familiar with right mm-hmm. um and some of them liked it and some of them didn't and as time went on we kind of got to a point where we were far enough along the game mm-hmm. or far enough along the path of finishing the game and we kind of had developed the self-publishing plan enough that we were like is it really going to be worth it to split the like cut to basically mm-hmm. give away another 30 percent of our you know revenue or of our uh yeah, return to yeah. a publisher, you know, what would they be providing that would be really worth it? And I think that's right. obviously the biggest question. It's plain and simple. It's just like, are what they're providing you really going is what they're providing you really going to be worth it? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like a publisher gives you that visibility that you really need. And I think mm-hmm. Nintendo helped us get visibility that we were hoping for. And at that mm-hmm. point, we're like, okay, yeah, I feel like this, I feel like we can self publish and still be okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we don't need to get a, a publisher involved and have to split that cut in a large way because of the other connections that we had started to establish. It was kind of this organic uh, decision that occurred where we really kind of committed to the self-publishing process. Yeah, and I think that's very smart, uh, a very smart approach because you're you're already defining your own path without any variables outside of that. And anything that is coming later in the game of your development it's just a plus like it's just a, yeah it's a exactly nice have which is a great we got mentality a, to have yeah we got a dev grant from ue4 a small dev grant uh you know around launch around announce time i think and that helped mm-hmm. us like go to all the events that we needed to fly to and pay for mm-hmm. flights and travel and things like that mm-hmm. so stuff just started to happen that filled in the holes a little bit and relieved some of the pressure that we were feeling and some of the reasons why we were you know wanting to reach out to a publisher in the first place mm-hmm. What are the, uh, of course, there's a lot of conventions. We know GDC, we know PAX, but what are the must yeah. attend events if you're about to launch that year that you would recommend to developers and listeners out there? It's a good question. Um, we did Gamescom just recently, and I feel like it was really effective because there were so many, there was so much press and like uh, news outlets in Europe that just hadn't even really heard of our game. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was like really valuable to get out there and just try to spread the word on that mm-hmm. part of, in that part of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, obviously a, a beefier cost for travel and things like that, but it's a massive conference. Like I didn't realize how big it was. There's 380,000 people that it's go like to Gamescom. Whereas like, or something, right. It's like not, massive. It's, yeah. It's E3 is thing. like 80,000 and yeah. add 300,000 people to that. And then you've got Gamescom. Yeah. It's that's, insane. That's a lot of BO. I didn't realize it's the first time I went, <laughs> That's the first time I went there, so it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and that's where is yeah, that located? Def- Which country? That's in that? Germany, in Cologne. Germany. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's one. Um, it's the I, one conference I have gone to because it's over there. Yeah. 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 GGC and PAX are really the big ones. I feel like you could get by uh, just participating in those. We definitely applied to like Indie Mega Booth. They helped us a lot. They helped. Mm-hmm. We had we were in the Indie, Indie Mega Booth at PAX. Uh, east and west Mm -hmm. and that gave us a ton of visibility and just like gave us more feedback that we wanted when we did pax east which was like right after gdc uh we were getting a lot more people playing it and just discovering it and that was like a huge boost in our steam wish lists that you know had just opened up things like that can you give some uh, a little insight for these shows? I mean, obviously, there's an application process and the acceptance. And do you just bring in your own rig and you they just point you at a corner and you just set it up? Is yeah, it so autonomous um, that? the application process, I think, is pretty straightforward. I can't say I was the one to apply, like Poppagen to help us apply to a number of things because they've done it before. And they're like, right. cool, we'll take care of it. We're going to apply you to this thing. Nice. But I'm pretty sure they make that made they make the process pretty straightforward. In the case of Indie Mega Booth, we actually didn't have to provide any hardware. All we had to bring were Xbox controllers and a build on wow. a USB stick, basically. Oh, even better. And we had to buy some hardware, like we had we wanted to buy nicer chairs, mm-hmm. and we considered, you know, like we actually wanted more TVs too. So we kind of like did a we bought some small TVs, but they provided PCs, they provided headsets uh, because they had this connection with another team at 
uh, PAX that was like basically providing headsets for indie mega booth. So I feel like if you're part of a like a group of games like that, like indie mega booth, they tend to provide a lot of the like significant hardware that you'll need. Um, and then you end up just paying for like the cost of the booth. So you kind of pick like, do I want a five by five space or a five by 10 space or, you know, how much can you afford? Basically mm-hmm. you pay for that area and any like perks, they're like mm-hmm. buy padded carpets because you're going <laughs> to hate your feet by the end of the conference unless you do. Right. 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 <laughs> Things so like that. Do you want electrical cords? This is how much it costs. Yeah. <laughs> Indie uh, Mega Booth sets up a Google group, which is really valuable. Mm-hmm. So, like, all the developers who are part of it get to talk and ask each other questions. Like, oh, nice. what are you doing for this? Or is there going to be power plugs for this thing? Or can I hang this banner on the back wall? You know, how do we display information about our game? Yeah. We bought these, like, self-standing banners that you could put next to each other, and they would just show the game title really large. But they, like, roll up into tiny little or uh, medium-sized little tubes and stuff. Yeah. So it's not something that I've been noticing lately too, just talk to more indie developers. I come from the AAA background and when I finally got, not into, but at least started interviewing, yeah. I've just noticed like, wow, this is a separate group that have their own type of thinking. So now that you're in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, like, it's very you, ground floor. Yeah, it's very ground floor, but it, uh, it's a very tight knit community. Everyone's very supportive of each other. Uh, do you find yourself after attending more of these conventions, you're like, oh, wow, now I'm getting to meet like a lot of the developers yeah. behind my favorite games and stuff. How How's that developing and everything? Yeah, absolutely. I would also say that applies to being in a city that has more developers. Like we've met a ton of developers in Montreal that mm-hmm. um, we didn't even realize were here before we got here, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it like a couple of conferences in, you start to like, you know, see, oh, yeah, this team is here again. We actually have connected with Night School because they have, like, a very similar company name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they did, like, Oxenfree and, then, mm-hmm. and that stuff, and we were next to them at, at one of the ID at Xbox uh, displays mm-hmm. at E3, actually. Mm-hmm. And so we've just been connecting with a lot of developers that is just, like, a really, like, kind of a pleasant surprise, right? You don't plan on doing that, right. but you end up meeting them and connecting with them, and then you're building this relationship that I feel like, pays off in the long term my experience in this industry and i guess you know similar industries because i come kind of come from like film and animation um is that it's an incredibly small world like everybody kind of is connected to somebody else with like two degrees or three degrees or less you know Mm -hmm. um and so i feel like just meeting people and just connecting to people directly and personally is honestly one of the better ways to just figure things out to get those connections like I, how do you meet Nintendo or how do you meet somebody at a different publisher or first party? I feel like it comes first and foremost from just like simple connections, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of going off of what you're saying, you're coming from film and animation. I, ref- I still refuse to believe that this is just a lucky hit, right? Obviously, you guys are made up of a team of professionals with various backgrounds, but have been a master of your craft for a while to be able to crunch this game in a year and a half and make the right connections and make the right calls and follow through with it. So can you kind of talk about your previous experience before flight school to kind of help yeah. learn some, some of your talent uh, currently? Yeah, totally. So I used to work at a company. Yeah, it's kind of a long story. But when I say film and animation background, I'm referring to a company I used to work for called Moonbot Studios. It was based out of Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana. And it started as like a kind of a short film studio. Our goal was to like just make films and cool animations. Mm-hmm. And we created a project called Fantastic Flying Books of Morris Lessmore, mm-hmm. which was a mix of like fully animated and actually miniatures, mm-hmm. uh, like miniature backgrounds where there was like physically built sets that mm-hmm. were photographed and then composited into the like real anima- into the CG animation which won an Oscar. We won an Academy mm-hmm. Award for the like best animated short film of that year. This was like 2012, I think. It's a nice award, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome, yeah. And uh, at the time, I think like the iPad was coming out or like mm-hmm. some cool Apple hardware. And we wanted to kind of get into that. Everyone at the company was just kind of like, yeah, this is interesting. It was a small company and we wanted to explore in this like experimental technology. So we kind of organically started this interactive division of Moonbot, which Adam and I were heading up, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where we started getting more and more in interactive media. We did like some children's books. We did 
um, just kind of like mobile experiences, just like weird mobile apps, whether they're like kind of music video y or just like the type of stuff you would see in early app store days, I guess. Right. And then got it more into more into like uh, mobile games. We did some apps that were kind of very like Tokoboa or Tokoboka like, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of family-oriented things, a lot of family-friendly things, and then started started slowly getting more and more into kind of more traditional games, I guess. Mm-hmm. Things with like more traditional game mechanics and and stuff like that. Adam and I worked on a project that never got released because of legal IP mm-hmm. mumbo jumbo that's not worth talking about. But we worked on a game for a couple of years and learned a lot because we were actually working with Sony Santa Monica at the time. Mm, I see. Um, the team that had worked with like journey and, uh, in the same building as God of war and stuff like that. So we were learning a lot along the way as we kind of evolved from this pseudo mobile developer to console developer. Um, we did a project with Sony in London at Moonbot called digs nightcrawler, Mm -hmm. which was for their weird platform called the Sony wonder book, which is literally like this foam core book and you'd hold it up in front of a camera Mm -hmm. and open it up. And then it would composite onto the book which was just a bunch of qr codes basically mm-hmm. like 3d scenes and stuff so it looked like the cg pop-up book right that's cool yeah and that was a massive project too that was like you know a feature film's worth of animation that went into this kind of like interactive fun storytelling experience so we have all these like cool projects along the way um that we had worked on and this is you know creature in the well to adam and i is a culmination of a lot of those things where we're kind of just like you know putting the pieces together mm-hmm so <laughs> you can see Adam in the background. <laughs> I can hear him too. Uh, yep. <laughs> so <laughs> you're, you're displaying a lot of versatility in your background, uh, not just through interactive mediums, but just different projects to give you like a very, I would say a very fresh perspective with Creature in the Well, right? Um, like how do people, would you advise, get that type of training? Uh, aside from just following their interests, because that is a very unique blend of yeah. uniqueness to be able to a see question. a project through. I mean, that's very, that's uh, very you, man. Thanks, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good question. I remember when we first got into interactive stuff, that was kind of our angle. We were like, yeah, we want to take this unique perspective we have from like film and cinematography and like other things that we were kind of more familiar with and work that into games, which we were also very familiar with just because we played a ton of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I feel like it's a good question to ask yourself if you're getting into it, like mm-hmm. what's the unique thing that I can bring to this that would make it personal to me mm-hmm. um, so that I'm not just kind of necessarily duplicating or creating something that already exists right we we kind of leaned heavily on the like uniqueness aspect i feel like that's been a high priority as on in our world of just like let's just think outside the box in an extreme way and honestly sometimes you land up you land somewhere that's too outside the box and everyone's like what are you doing i don't understand <laughs> what you're making this isn't a game or you know mm-hmm. and so for <laughs> creature this was I, honestly kind of our goal our like first attempt at like let's make something super mainstream and we ended up with hack and slash pinball, which is not mainstream, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, um, I don't really know what I would, I would say to somebody to, to try to get into that. Just like, you know, do it for you do, find something that's like really appealing to yourself and just keep asking yourself the question of like, you know, what would I really love to see that I'm not seeing, you know, today? Yeah. I have a meta question for you because uh, you, you touched yeah. all types of mediums and, uh, currently are very excited is very excited about game as your expression for what you want to say uh, do you foresee that being staying here for a while within games or do you feel like there's a technology out there that you want to toy with it could be still within games like VR AR or whatever but um, what's your perspective on it I, I see myself staying in games personally for a while I kind of like you know I grew up playing games and that was just like what I lived and breathed and I never really considered it going to college. I, when I went to college, I was like, cool, 3d programs are neat Mm -hmm. and 3d software and like animation and VFX and modeling. It was really cool to see tools that existed on computers that could make that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the college programs I found were like mostly targeted towards like making short films and becoming, you know, an artist that would work for like Pixar Disney or something like that, which is honestly where I have a lot of friends that, 
like major film and VFX studios. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So uh, I want to ask you a question about um, the perspective of obviously taking on a task as Creature in the Well and self-publishing was an idea that you guys had, but thankfully you were able to kind of get the game to the point where everybody else was interested to kind of helping you guys out at the tail end of things. Um, The market is super saturated, right? When when you have super saturated. So I I always like to ask a developer such as yourself to kind of get like your own opinions on if you had to do it all the way, what would it have been uh, your keys to success just based on your survey of what's going on out there? Yeah, like you're saying, if we were completely solo along the way, mm-hmm. what what would have been the things we'd focus on? Yeah, that's a good question. It's and like you're absolutely right. I feel like looking at the scene at GDC and PAX, and just like looking at you know what's coming out on Steam and everything, it's a lot the of quality dudes. bar is a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> the quality bar is insane, and there's so much content. Like there's there's just a lot out there, and I feel like that's kind of another. Uh, another reason why we try to reach like so far out of like the home base. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just our approach. Like there's a lot of ways to do it, but for us, it's, I think we're just trying to in an extreme way, find something that like sets us apart, whether it's like the visual style or like, you know, the mechanic or something that just like is really foreign and then find a way to, you know, work in familiar, familiar elements and familiar gameplay themes so that when people f- are hooked by that thing that's weird and unique, they can then start to understand your game and be like, oh, it's kind of like these things that I am familiar with, but I'm really curious how it works because I haven't seen something like that. That's kind of, I feel like, what we're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's really tough. I, I think uh, I think you really just got to focus on, you know, what are you seeing and how how can your vision or your eye for like the medium and what the medium is doing um allow you to make something that stands out a little bit mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very sensitive to just like kind of when we have ideas just go through the the checklist of like has this been done though like has is there a lot of stuff out there that would mm-hmm. just kind of directly compete with it and mm-hmm. it's like almost impossible to not make something that's overlapping with existing ideas i feel like mm-hmm. Every time you come up with something, you Google it, and then you're like, "Oh, it's been done." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Someone's made it. So you know, it's it's a mix of that, and then just kind of you know the micro decisions you make along the way during production that help you massage your product into something different. Yeah. And then I think again, marketing is so important. Like, there's the product itself, and then mm-hmm. I, I honestly feel like that's only half of the battle. If you make an awesome project. I feel like you're only halfway there. You need to find a way to get it out there and get people to see it. And I think that's what we've been learning more and more from Pop Agenda and other people we've been working with. Just about like when to apply for the right things, when to like, you know, show your game at specific locations or what types of media to make, you know, like how to make good trailers or, Mm -hmm. you know, run a community management or like run a Twitter, right? Stuff like Mm -hmm. that. There are, there's all these like micro decisions in there that are like really interesting that you just absolutely would never think about if you just focus on the production of the product itself, you know. And I can't overstate the importance of those. I feel like. Mm-hmm. So, uh, were was the marketing firm kind of handling all that for you guys as well? The the Facebook, Twitter, all, okay. Yeah, I mean yeah, that alone is worth it. <laughs> absolutely. And they guys. open it's it up. They're like, job. "Well, here's." We told them up front. We're like, "We want it to be. We want it to." you know, represent our indiness. We want it to be very transparent and for them to feel like they're connecting directly to the developers and the team. And they're like, cool, we love that voice. You know, we will help you achieve it basically. Mm -hmm. And they kind of carried the same voice. It was very natural for them to be able to do that. And then also allow us to do whatever we want. Like, you know, we kind of just open up the keys for everyone on the team to contribute to the like social and like, PR image of Creature in the Well and the company as we kind of approached launch, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody was contributing ideas from all sides, I think, as like, yeah, what types of things do we want to show every screenshot Saturday or, um, you know, things like that. How did, well, you, you guys' games are is pretty unique where you, you're not like, 
even if you're googling it there's no pinball hack and slash game where it's like oh man <laughs> it's out no. there and especially on the road like now that you're next to a booth that is i don't i don't really see any developers really ever competing with each other even if they launch the same month uh, but how do you avoid that type of distractions? Like, oh, that's an actually cool mechanic. It's like not just future creep, but like, oh, that's very similar to ours. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should think or change things or, or have that type of halting development mindset that can cripple a, a yeah. project. Yeah. Honestly, I think we were lucky in that regard. Like you're saying, there wasn't a lot of like competing genres or types of games, but we did like, we would see a game come out that had something in it that was similar, like a mini map or like a way they handled a UI or something like that. They're like, Oh dang, they like did it the same way. Should we learn from that? Or do we care about, you know, making, setting ourselves apart from it or is it worth it? Um, I don't feel like there's really a general rule for a lot of that stuff, but um, I definitely think it's, it's honestly a good way to learn. Like if something comes out mm. or if something is coming out and it's really similar to your game, I'm like, you should study that. I feel like you should play it as much as you can and learn from it and use that as more research for how like the decisions you're going to make about your game. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think we tried as hard as we could to find things that were similar. Like that's how we discovered uh, like disc jam and um, wind jammers. And there was like a, a bunch of other just kind of, ball bouncy combat-y type games that we were just trying to like look at and see how they did certain things and Mm -hmm. pull whatever we could from them and use that to like you know innovate and come up with something new Mm -hmm. Uh, this is actually a good jumping off point for um, when it comes to research right so there's that initial push when you're kind of developing the idea and you're trying to pitch the game that you do and play anything that you get your hands on to kind of help develop and and fully form this idea, right? How much does that continue during your development? Uh, you're talking about certain features that you got to really figure out and maybe you get some inspiration here and there, but uh, I would imagine most of that time is behind development and not just playing other games to add things to, to your game. Yeah. Yeah, on this production specifically, I feel like uh became pretty isolated in the early parts of the production like we had our references going in there's a lot of cool information there and a lot of places to start but then once we got into like weird uncharted territory it was very much just kind of like i feel like i I remember just kind of ignoring everything else that was out there for a while and just thinking like cool it's just the focus on our own problems and just kind of work within a bubble to keep you know the vision or the goals of what you're trying to do a little bit more like pure right where you're Mm -hmm. just kind of like cool let's let's just keep trying really hard to have the vision in your mind of like what you want it to feel like just imagining what it feels like to hold the controller and like perform actions and you know play the game and then just working to massage the game so that it moves towards that right Mm -hmm. um and i don't i don't think we used a lot of reference during that period where we were kind of moving forward Mm -hmm. and then later when you're thinking about like structural aspects of the game like how do we handle you know, the death runback loop or like, you know, currency management or things like that that are kind of like larger systems of the game. We definitely referenced things just to kind of like see what we could pull from them. Like Dead Cells, we were referencing a lot just to figure out that pacing because they have like incredible pacing of branching and then coming back and moving on to the next region and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of questions have been pertaining to before development, during development, and not enough focus on after the game is shipped. So after you yeah. guys are high-fiving, I feel like you guys hit a home run when it comes to marketing. Uh, I think it's being well-received and everyone's loving it. I see it and hear it everywhere. How has it been for, for the development team and walking through flight school and be like, yeah, we freaking killed it. <laughs> it's been great. It's, yeah. it's kind of... I don't know. I feel like it's going to be different for everybody, but it's kind of weird because there's still like a lot going on mm-hmm. right now. Like today we spend a lot of time talking about our next thing that we're working on. We're trying mm-hmm. to basically kick off and start development on like another project. Mm-hmm. And there are other projects as well at flight school that are mid production that we're also thinking about. So we're always just kind of like busy mm-hmm. <laughs> just thinking about like whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I feel like we had, a little bit more of a relaxed launch for creature because 
um, you know, the connections we had, like the Microsoft Game Pass deal and things like that, gave, like removed a lot of stress right. that made the launch a little bit less, you know, tense for us when we yeah. first re- when released. And so we were kind of already starting to plan and starting to think ahead. I'm like, cool, what's coming next? How can we like awesome. make sure we're applying pressure where it goes? And there's obviously a ton of creature work we're doing. Like we're, we're trying to plan like, you know, fixes and patches and like just look at the general feedback and see if there's other ways we can massage the game mm-hmm. if necessary, you know, to make everything smoother and make sure that it continues to live well, things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. We, we, we're, kind of dividing our tension among a lot of things right now and just kind of getting hyped about the next thing yeah and i'm sure there are uh it's very hard for you to kind of find uh issues that you had with uh creature in the well and then um seeing how you can fix that but i'm gonna ask that anyways right lessons learned applying to your next project what would you say to yourself uh and to listeners as well of like what would you have done differently to make sure that your, your follow-up doesn't have, run into the same issues. Totally. Yeah, one of the big things that comes about uh, comes up about Creature in the World is difficulty. So we spent a lot of time just, like, thinking and talking about it, like, mm-hmm. uh, leading up to launch and, like, post-launch even. And it's kind of interesting because we kind of started talking about the fact that, like, it is a small game to us. Like, it's kind of interesting because you're talking about this, like, professional launch that you're alluding to. But in our minds, we're just kind of like, <laughs> we just made a small game as fast mm-hmm. as we could and put mm-hmm. it out there. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I feel like those can sometimes conflict. Like, we we kind of made a game of the scope that we felt comfortable with. I feel like it comes in anywhere between, like, five to ten hours, depending mm-hmm. on, like, how you play it. So it's like a long weekend game. Mm-hmm. Um but it presents as a much larger game. And when we were designing it, you know, it's very easy to fall into the mentality of like, yeah, this is a hollow Knight or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And we have this difficulty curve in there that goes from like, yeah, you're learning the mechanic to you've mastered the mechanic. Mm-hmm. And then we realized like, how can you master anything in four hours basically? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we started talking about like, yeah, the difficulty needs to kind of be proportionate to like how long the game is or how much time you have to like practice and, experiment with things and like really learn the tricks of the trade and it's cool to see people get through it like people are like putting in the time and and learning how the mechanics work uh but i feel like we in in the next go around we're gonna make sure that like the time you spend practicing things is proportional to like how quickly things ramp up you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and there's a just i feel like games are so much about just communication it's just like how do you communicate information to the player so that they know what you want them to know or what they should know and they can use that to their you know best advantage to do whatever like complete a challenge have fun learn about the story whatever that may be so there's all these micro decisions in the game that you know we're trying to tell players something in some specific way and a lot of the times they work and then sometimes people just like have no idea what you were trying to say to them or they missed a cue that you thought was totally obvious or things like that Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of little lessons there just about like making sure you're explicit enough with like item descriptions or, you know, areas where you want to be mysterious and secret, but maybe it's not the best place to be mysterious and secret and you should kind of be more explicit about stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of those little things along the way that we started to learn and observe. Well, speaking of not being explicit or being explicit and not being secretive, we are at that hour uh, where I am looking at the clock that we've been podcasting for. And this is the part of the time where I hand the mic over to you for you to shout out, promote, or give attention to anything. I think I know what you're going to talk about, but uh, I'm just going to give you the mic anyways. So there you go, Bo. I'm so curious what you're gonna, <laughs> what do you think? I'm definitely gonna shout out to Papa Jenna because those guys, mm-hmm. they're amazing. They're an amazing team, Jen and Nick and MC, and all of the games that they're representing right now are really amazing. Um, Mutazione is coming out soon. Blood Roots. Um, it's an incredible, it's an incredible team, and the stuff that they're working on is really cool. Um, yeah, I wanted I wanted to say a big thanks to like all of our testers as well. Like there's a lot of people that like every time we talk about the game, we're kind of like, yeah, it's a core team of two. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it doesn't do it justice because so many people influence, you know, a product along the way from like family to friends and just like everyone that's even around you in the place you work or at the company you work at. Um and that's a huge deal. And I would say I I feel like 
in general, what I've just learned is that like everybody should, you know, be more vocal and supportive of each other as they go through development. It's really interesting being on the side of development where you're like, you've got a product and you're trying to put it out there and all you want is like people to notice it or talk about it or whatever. And then you start to have this shift in mentality where you're like, I, I should do that for all the games that I love and the other developers that I love and go and find them and like, you know, tell them that they're doing cool stuff or like share their work. So I feel like, you know, there's so much we could do to help each other as indie developers um, and to like share each other's work and just, you know, keep that ecosystem going strong. Um, I don't think it's easy to survive in that industry. And I feel like we've been incredibly lucky in a lot of ways. Uh, so I'm just trying to do what I can to like help out other developers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'll sign that off as well. So everybody who wants a promotion, just go over there <laughs> and email <Bo. laughs> Open, open the application. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much, Bill, for coming on, man. That was an enlightening talk. Uh, very thankful Thanks. for you to share your hour with us. And uh, thank you for all the listeners out there. I'll see you guys next week. Go ahead and say bye, bro. Later. Thank you.